This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short routes. Boys are back. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception Reception the Show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Go, Matt Harmon here with you to listen to Perception, Perception, the show. Uh, Matt, as we have fast approach here at Thanksgiving, uh, I'm sure our very loyal listeners, uh, very. Uh, Curious and excited to see that we're dropping a day early because, uh, quite frankly, we didn't want to work uh, on a Thanksgiving, and so here we are, man. Uh, how are you doing? And how, and uh, and again, uh, as we get ready for here for week twelve, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I am looking forward to Thanksgiving, man. It's one of my favorite holidays, uh, but I always forget how much I hate the few days leading into Thanksgiving, where it's a total and utter sprint. Uh, both in the work sense and the uh-huh. real life sense, you know. Um, so the, it's just you're getting you're getting your work done in uh, a truncated period, basically still yeah, doing really. all of the same stuff in a truncated period, yeah, while also preparing, you know, the house for the in laws, which we've got going on this this uh, this Thanksgiving. Oh, there you go. So you know we we've got uh, obviously big. We got a little happy hour uh, planned at the house. A bunch of friends and family coming on Wednesday. We've got the, all the Thanksgiving prep as well. So uh, your boy was in the grocery store this morning, absolutely hating his life, uh, getting everything <laughs> for the happy hour on the Thursday. So yeah, it's you forget like, oh yeah, right. It's I mean, look, listen. Nobody, by the way, nobody listening. I understand you. You do not. You do not do care not about care. our problems. Do you not do, care. definitely do not care about your. Oh, <laughs> you're squeezing. You're squeezing your football work into a few days. Oh, no one cares about your problems. Literally and I get no that. Cares. Literally, I no get cares. that. But you asked the question. Okay. That's yeah. the answer. And here we are. Um, you know what Pittsburgh Steeler fans don't care about, or I guess they do care quite a bit. But the, but uh, they're very happy. I would assume that Matt Canada has finally, mercifully been let go by Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the first time, if it seems rare, it's because it is, it's the first time the Steelers have made a head coach or coordinator change mid-season since 1941. That is unreal, especially in today's day and age where Guys are getting let go after like two games, man. Like it's mm. unbelievable. Look at what happened to Nathaniel Hackett last year. The guy didn't even make what? What did he? What did he coach? Ten games yeah. before he got let go. He was that bad. And and dude, Canada has been that bad for so long. It's been unbelievable, man. I can't believe uh, that the Steelers held on to him for this long. And especially, how curious was it this off season? when there was a lot of coordinators out there that were available that the Steelers stuck with Matt Canada. It was crazy. It was crazy. Uh, at the time it felt weird and it looked worse and worse uh, as the season wore on. You know, we've talked a lot on this show about Matt Canada's offense and why we don't like it. Uh, the route combinations, the, you know, just very unimaginative stuff. It doesn't really make sense together. It's very basic. A lot of go routes, a lot of comebacks and, and curl routes. Yeah. They don't work. I mean, they do not work the f- middle of the field to a striking degree. I mean, just mm. nothing over the middle. It's crazy. And that's where some of your most efficient throws are. You know, when you're constantly asking your quarterback to work deep and outside the numbers and short and outside the numbers. It's just a tough way to live. And, you know, we, we make fun of Deontay Johnson and the yak stuff sometimes, and, and right. he definitely deserves it a, a good bit. But at the same time, a lot of, a lot of his routes are all coming back to the quarterback. Like, tell me how mm-hmm. you get a lot of yak on a hitch route. You know, tell me how you get a lot of yak on a comeback route, stuff like that. Right. So the, the Canada stuff was bad. It needed to go. I mean, even – the run game had gotten better of late, but the pass game had continued to erode uh, from a conceptual standpoint, from an efficiency, from a production standpoint, it had continued to erode. Um, I think the, the chorus of, of 
fire Matt Canada, you know, chance all across the, literally the entire town of Pittsburgh, I think had gotten to a point where it was just untenable, um, you know, where they couldn't go on uh, at that's at, at the way it was going anymore. I mean, I've never seen anything like that um, from like the vitriol towards a coordinator. Uh, I mean, you know, like at the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey game, there were choruses <laughs> a chance of fire Matt Canada. Fire Matt Canada. Wow. Matt Canada had a, I think, wow. in a, I, I might be messing up the details here, but he was had like a press scrum or something, and he dropped like something dropped or something. He's like, ah, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Although somebody will make it, somebody will make it seem like it was my fault or something. And I'm like, oh my God. man, this guy is so aware of the criticism and how could he not be? Um, so I think that's why you're seeing this move happen because it had gotten so bad to an extreme point from an outside perspective that something yeah. had to change. Um, but I'll ask you this, James, in terms of things changing, is anything going to change on the field for the Steelers as a result of this move? I'm a little bit confused because right now, right, they've got running backs coach Eddie Faulkner. He's going to take over the offensive coordinator duties. But then neither Mike Tomlin or this Faulkner character are going to be calling plays. Play calling is then going to be going to quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan, right? So what a weird and convoluted power structure they have there on the offensive side of the football. So the guy who's designing the the game plan coming into Sunday is then not calling the plays on Sunday. (laughs) Matt, that does not seem like a good idea, dude. That doesn't seem like a good idea. What is Pittsburgh doing there? So you're asking me, is a lot going to change? I think we're going to see, diff- I, I would hope that we see um, different play calling. But the problem is, and we've highlighted this a lot, is the fact that when you're talking midseason, you really can't change the playbook too often. Um, and the playbook, I think, is really what is at the, the root of the problem here. Uh, certainly some of the play calls from Canada have been curious and bad. So hopefully they they eliminate some of that. But I do think there will be a renewed focus on details during practice. I think, of course, uh, you know, I'm a big, big time believer um, in effort and faith. And I think we're going to see renewed faith. I see I, I for sure we're going to see renewed effort because clearly the players have pretty much given up uh, on the offensive side of the football. So I, I think we're going to see a lot better effort, a lot more faith. Um, and some of the play calling should be a little bit better, but the playbook is the playbook and it's right. way too late in the season to change that. That's the thing. Even with, we talked about the bills on yesterday's episode and Joe Brady used a lot more motion, um, and some stuff like that, some like little tweaks, but it wasn't as if they just were going to scrap everything they did. And like now here, heading into week 11, we, we run Joe Brady's offense. Like, no, they're running the same offense, and that will be, right. by and large, mostly true with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Mike Sullivan has experience as an NFL offensive coordinator. Um, not exactly inspiring in spir- experience of late. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Ben McAdoo New York Giants. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Uh, and then before that, he was an <laughs> offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under Lovey Smith. What a oh, run boy. that was. Oh, uh, Lovey, oh, I saw it. Did he overlap then, I guess, with Josh Freeman? I mean, I don't know. Regardless, uh, his his main claim to fame is like Eli Manning's quarterback coach with the Giants. Oh, great. Over, yeah, over multiple stints. So that that's really where, where like he has that experience from. And obviously, he's the quarterback coach for Kenny Pickett. I wouldn't say that Kenny Pickett has developed into even a passable starter no. at this point. That's another thing, uh, too. No. Like... This comes back to Mike Tomlin's loyalty, and Mike Tomlin's loyalty can be a good thing. I think he has stuck through. Uh, clearly, he has not gotten frustrated and has stuck it out with like really, you know, problematic players at times. Whether it's Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, I would say he's right. put up with some crap from the current Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> wide receivers, uh, and has maybe fostered out some of the best stuff uh-huh. of them. So there, there's good there's good parts of this, and the Steelers organization, as you said, hasn't fired anybody midseason since the '40s. I mean, James, my dad was born in 1949, bro. Like that's <laughs> like that's forever. Shout out to my dad, that's but that's crazy. that's forever ago. I no, mean, the 19, 1941. Um, I mean, that was like World War II. World yes. War II. <laughs> Good God. Oh <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, obviously there's that. They've had like three head coaches, I think, in their entire existence as a franchise. So it's like 
insane stuff, the loyalty and the commitment that the Steelers have, which is good until it leads mm-hmm. you to have Matt Canada as your offensive coordinator for like a two years too long. Um, and I'm really curious, like this would have been the off season to make the change for sure, because I get why it was tempting with Kenny Pickett. Like, okay, he's coming into his second season. Do we really want to have him overhauled, scrapped and learn a new offense in the off season? Or, Hey, he showed some signs of life towards the end of the season. Do we want him to just keep him in the same system? Mm-hmm. Like, do they end up putting themselves in a brain pretzel in the off season where it's like, all right, we just get the coordinator right. And then Kenny Pickett can get right on track. Cause I just don't know if I've seen anything from Pickett to believe that he has long-term upside as a, uh, as an above average starting NFL quarterback. I think from my perspective, I think he's got tools to attack the intermediate areas of the field. Um, and I think that actually is where he's probably the strongest. So, what you're saying in terms of they don't call plays to the intermediate areas of the field, I thought that was just a, a huge mistake given the skill set of Kenny Pickett, right? So the intermediate all, middle of the field. The middle of the field exclusively. They do not design right. plays to hit. And and again, when I watch Kenny Pickett play, uh, and again, going back to his you know collegiate days, and a lot of the stuff that we saw in the preseason too, I, I was like, man, this guy could absolutely attack intermediate middle, right? Um, I, I think he has a, a little bit of lack of touch and, and timing on deep balls, but he could fire it in there in the middle of the field a la Jared Goff, man. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we will see a little bit of that. Similar to what I think we've seen with Tua Tungavailoa there in South Beach, I wonder if there's a coordinator change and the play calling ends up being a little bit different. Do we see some renewed confidence there uh, in the young signal caller and Kenny Pickett? I, I, I'm going to hold out hope there. I agree with you. Now, see, I bring up the Jared Goff thing because I think that's actually a pretty good um, starting point where imagine there's a coordinator that just kept calling plays outside the numbers over and over and over and over again for Jared Goff. Right. And then at some point, this is not what he does. Right. His confidence gets shot. Right. Mm. And so and they just keep calling those same plays. Right. So I I just wonder if we start, you know, working to some of Kenny Pickett's strength, will we see a new quarterback? Uh, much like we have seen, I think, some some real growth with Jared Goff over the past couple of seasons here with Detroit. Yeah, the, the thing is, man, like I get it. And, and you know, Ben Johnson certainly breathed new life into Jared Goff's career. And Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. absolutely like more than breathed life into Tua's career when he got there. But those guys had much higher lows than than Kenny Pickett has to start. Like you're right. No, and, you're and, right. You know, I mean, Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. He was the right. number one overall one pick overall. in the draft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah. he absolutely could whip it. Um, you know, he had his, he's a, he has a strong arm overall. Man, and then you look at, like, Tua, he was a top 10 draft pick. I believe fifth overall pick in that draft. He was a guy that there was literally a slogan, tank for Tua. Like, that's how highly right. he was thought of. Um, and even in his second season, you know, it's the numbers aren't great for Tua, but he's got a 90.1 passer rating, um, you know, 16 touchdown passes, 67.8 completion rate. Like, some of that stuff was phony, whatever. Um, but then, you know, again, you compare that to Kenny Pickett's first two years. His average right. passer rating so far is 77.7. Um, you know, one exactly equal 13 to 13 touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, the yards per attempt is is 6.2 it's it's pretty tough to compare um apples to apples on that one i will say this though in regards to kenny pickett he uh to your point not only has he been worse than the guys we just uh that i just mentioned but also i would say he's had better passing options uh for him available in deontay johnson and and now george pickens too right so it's certain and pat fryermuth too it's not so it's not as if the the cupboard was bare for right. Kenny Pickett, and so he's continued to still be this bad. So, I, I total to your point, I totally see it. I'm just trying to paint a little. <laughs> I'm just trying to paint a little bit of a silver lining here for Pickett. Um, to to just basically say I'm not totally giving up on the guy. I think there are traits that he has that I think they could fully utilize 
but I won't go so far as to say his ceiling is as high as Goff or Tua. I just think he can absolutely be an average NFL starter in this league. And obviously he's been anything but in the Matt Canada era. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll see. I, I think he was drafted by this team. Because, like how many times did we hear because he was already in the building? And it's like they fell in love. They went looking for everybody right. and they fell in love with the girl next door. And it's like they kind of had to take a quarterback in a bad quarterback draft class. So he ended up being a first round pick. And he was the only guy taken in the first two rounds of that draft. So right. I, I think it was a little bit of, you know, I always say this young quarterbacks are not, they don't fail. There's oftentimes they are failed. Um, mm-hmm. I think Kenny Pickett may have been doomed with both expectations of being a first round pick and definitely yeah. being placed in Matt Canada's offense. I mean, you could even see the last year of Ben Roethlisberger, just how bad that system was and, and all of the inefficiency it brings the passing game. Um, I don't know. We'll see the rest of the season. If uh, Faulkner and Mike Sullivan, this like, tandem here uh, of, of offensive coordinator slash play caller, you know, we'll see if they can salvage the season. Cause I agree with you. Pittsburgh has talent. I mean, Pittsburgh does have talented players. Jalen Warren has been fantastic lately. Absolutely. I mean, he has just been great for this team. I think yep. that it, look, it sucks to spend a first round pick on a, on a guy that your undrafted running back makes better, but Jalen Warren's presence has made Najee Harris better as a runner. So totally agree there. And obviously we like Deontay Johnson and George Pickens is, is, has some really high highs as well. So there's talent here. Um, I don't know, man. I don't have a lot of faith. (laughs) Uh, Give some more context here in terms of how bad this Canada offense was uh, this season. Their bottom five in points per game, total yards and yards per play. The Steelers offense um, under Canada's tenure. This is according to ESPN. They've never eclipsed 400 yards of offense in his 45-game career. How bad is that, right? Not eclipsing 400 yards. All 31 other teams have topped 400 yards at least four times in that stretch. That's how bad this Steelers offense has been under Canada. I can't believe it's And it's just so obvious to anyone who watches the game that this offense stinks. Yeah. And Canada himself, yo, you get no sympathy when the the boo birds are, are this loud, the critics are this loud, and you don't change a damn thing. This offense is the exact same offense as last year. Last year's offense was atrocious. You have no one to blame but yourself because you didn't do anything to change your offense. You didn't change your play calling. You didn't change your playbook. You didn't change your tendencies. You didn't change nothing about what we are seeing here. Uh, And by the way, you burned our boy Matt Harmon because Matt Harmon (laughs) was gung-ho all in on this Pittsburgh Steelers offense because part of the assumption was you, Matt Canada, was going to change. And you didn't change a damn thing, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Kenny Pickett has six touchdown passes this season. Would you like to know the other quarterbacks who have six touchdown passes this season? Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Yes. Des- I wanted to at least ask. You know, you don't have to hear this list of, of nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny Pickett, six touchdown passes. Other yeah. quarterbacks with six touchdown passes. Desmond Ritter, famously okay. benched. Zach Wilson, now famously benched. Will Levis, famously has only played in four games this year. Four games. That's it. And wait for it, Tommy DeVito. Tommy oh, DeVito, yeah. six touchdown passes, baby. I mean, that is... 
ghastly. That is ghastly awful. stuff from Kenny Pickett. Yeah, that is awful. I mean, we're talking about, by the way, I mean, four touchdown passes. That's as many receiving touchdowns as uh, Jahan Dotson who's done pretty much nothing for most of the season, right? That's as many touchdowns as Kendrick Bourne, who hasn't played in his eye on, on IR in a horrid offense, okay? I mean, come on. What is happening here? It's just so bad. There's so many different ways you could uh, attack this. It's so bad. But, hey, listen, so uh, enough dumping on Canada. What does it mean for this offense going forward? And in particular, I really want to focus in on somebody like George Pickens, who has really struggled this season. Um, from not only a statistical standpoint, but Matt, when I take a look at some of his reception perception data, I'm actually shocked, shocked by how bad some of these numbers look. Yeah, and look, a lot of this is stuff we talked about in the offseason where he's not a guy that consistently separates. I don't think he will ever be a guy who consistently separates. You know, um, I I it's tough because players of this archetype, right? Like they can hover below or around the league average success rate and be perfectly viable starters. But that's kind of what I've been saying on the show this year is that I think yeah. George Pickens is like in the Mike Williams bucket of wide receivers, you know, um, not really the, the high, high end number one X receiver types, like the good solid starting X receivers. And Mike Williams has been a very good player in this league for a long time. Um, who, who wins in very particular ways. I kind of think we're at a point in George Pickens' career where he is that guy. Now, hmm. look, a number a number of things are wrong with the Steelers' offense, as we just described. You know, I mean, I know we're not we we're done bagging on Matt Canada, but we can't have a, right. this conversation without bagging on Matt Canada a little bit, that you Correct. look at, like, the routes that George Pickens runs, it is still a lot of vertical routes, which I kind of – go back and forth on because that's immediately for people's first concerns about like complaints about George Pickens. Why does he produce this? Because he's not run. He only runs vertical routes. Well, those are George Pickens' best routes. Like if you mm -hmm, want to go mm -hmm. bonkers about the back shoulder vertical contested catch stuff that people love to see from George Pickens. Well, you're only doing that if you're running like corner routes and go routes and deep out routes and stuff like that. Now there's certainly more they can do from him from a middle of the field perspective. I, I 100% agree with that, but getting the most out of George Pickens is going to be throwing him the ball in tight spaces down the field. I don't think he's like a bad technician. I don't think he's a bad um, route runner necessarily. I think he is um, below the league. I think he's probably right around league average in terms of his route running ability, not like a total zero there, but again, still a guy that overall needs to improve the separation consistently getting um, open that that needs to happen more and to, for him to take the next step as a player. So when you take a look at his 2022 numbers, we're talking about George Pickens here. He ranked in the 34th percentile uh, in regards to success rate versus man coverage. And the dude was fifth percentile against zone. Now his zone numbers, by the way, his zone numbers will be lower because he does run a lot of vertical routes. Okay. Right. That's fine. But uh, then we go back to then we go to his 2023 uh, in-season numbers. And by the way, this in-season um, charting data and stats and stuff like that uh, available for the very first time on receptionperception.com. So go check it out. But George Pickens is among the players charted. And, and again, this is a smaller sample and it's fewer players and blah, blah, blah. And, and also, when I say this, please understand that Matt tries to chart the best players in this league. Okay. <laughs> He's not out here charting, you know, the random wide receiver five. Okay. For, you know, I don't, let's say the Cleveland Browns or something. Okay. That, that's just not what we do here at reception perception. So this is again, a, 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 against relatively good competition here. Okay. But George Pickens ranks in the bottom five of all players charted bottom four, as a matter of fact, of all players charted in regards to both success rate versus zone and success rate versus man. He's the only player um, other than Quentin Johnston to rank in the bottom four uh, of both of those categories. So I, I don't know, man, I'm a, I'm a little bit, um, I think that's going to, that number will surprise a lot of folks. Right. And the routes that he has high success rate on are, you know, like the, the corner route, um, the comeback stuff like that. So, which he doesn't run very much of. So it's kind of a, nothing burger there but 
Yeah, man. I mean, I don't really know how to get around the fact that he needs to be better as a separator if he's going to be a high-volume receiver. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. Like, you can you can totally get by on contested catches. You can make a lot of big plays as a contested catch receiver. But at the end of the day, man, you got to get open. Like, to, to be a guy that's going to consistently earn targets. And I think that's – you see this, like, when when – Deontay Johnson's in the picture and, and look, this whole passing game has been unproductive lately. So it doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're throwing barbs at everybody right now. Okay. Because everybody has not been good of late. I mean, and it obviously is a broken offense as we've said, but that's why you've seen with like Deontay Johnson back, you know, it's eight targets, five, five, four, six, like, because he's not the first read because he's not the best separator on the team. That's just the reality of, of where we're at right now. And he is in that position too, where, Okay, he's had some big games this year, which we know he's going to have big games. Like that's none of this is surprising. He's a big play player. But okay, he has the big play against the Ravens where they win the game. That's awesome. He's it was a great go route um, and he won in tight coverage consistently in that game. This is that's one of the games in the sample. It's one of the games in the sample. Like they scored 17 points. If George Pickens was a better separator, they're scoring more than 17 points, even if the offense sucks, even if Matt Canada's bad, <laughs> even if uh, Kenny Pickett is is not a needle mover as a quarterback. Like just that's that's the reality here. So I think that's that that's where we're at with George Pickens, where. You know, and another game in the sample is the Texans game where they scored six points without Deontay Johnson and he had 25 yards on three catches, seven targets because those DBs muscled him around a little bit. Like, I don't know, man. That's just who he is as a player. I think, and by the way, I can say all that and still say I think he's a good starting NFL receiver. He's not like a, mm-hmm. a bad player, but he has clear strengths and weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses is separation. It's interesting um, in terms of his route percentage last year in 2022, 19.5% of his routes were curl routes, which is pretty high. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, one of the 10 uh, highest percentages in the NFL. But man, 32.4% of his routes were the nine route. Yeah. And again, that led the NFL among all charted wide receivers, more than Mike Evans, more than Jamar Chase. Um, And quite frankly, when you take a look at his curl percentage in relation to the nine, you really do get a sense of where this guy was being utilized, really just either coming back to the quarterback or trying to go in over the top. For example, A.J. Brown, also an uh, primarily an outside, dominantly an outside wide receiver, he ran a curl route on 20, almost 21% of his routes, which is, okay, that's an extremely high number, right? But his nine percentage was only 16%. His dig percentage was 14%. So not only are they utilizing him short, intermediate, but also deep, right? So they're using him on, on all three levels are the Philadelphia Eagles. And that seems to me a good balance and, and, and proper utilization of an X receiver. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, so far in the in-season data, 50.7% of George Pickens' routes has been a nine, a corner, or a oh, post. God, jeez. That's okay. crazy. I mean, it's That's crazy insane. high for 50% of your route tree to be those deep routes. So, yeah, those insane. low overall success rates are a, by, are a byproduct of the vertical routes. There's no question right. about it. But, like, you also – like. You need to be better running the short routes to get more short routes. Like we talk about, okay, right. keep in context, Jamar Chase is about a 75% success rate versus man player. It's not one of the five best scores, but man, it's because he runs like over a quarter of his routes are go routes. Mm-hmm. That's different than excusing like, yeah, George Pickens is sub-league average. He's not going to suddenly go from sub-league average to elite running all of the, like running more short routes. Like that's just not where we're at with this player. So, I mean, I do think he... um all of these guys have warts, right? Like, I mean, even Deontay Johnson, sure. who I love as a route runner, he makes mistakes. He's a very mistake-prone player. Um, I wonder – I mean, I don't know Matt Canada, obviously. Um, Kirk Herbstreet seems to know Matt Canada based on that Thursday night game. That was very funny <laughs> how, how, uh, how he consistently uh, was like, you know, Matt Canada getting a lot of crap, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that was very funny. Notably, they did uh, win that game against the Tennessee Titans, and Deontay Johnson did score his first touchdown in forever. But still – right. I don't know, Matt Canada. I don't know how much he's like coaching these guys up or motivating these guys or anything like that. But yeah, I do really wonder like, can Mike Tomlin just bring in somebody to get all of these guys on track and maybe coach them a little harder? Because I think they could all reach a higher ceiling 
if that yeah. was the case. At least these two receivers. Yeah. I don't know about everybody else, but at least these two receivers, Deontay and George Pickens, I think could benefit from um, a little more coaching in that regard. I don't even know. I don't even know who the wide receivers coach is in Pittsburgh, but um, we could have a few questions. Um, I want to shift the conversation here to Deontay Johnson, who um, again, let's talk about usage for Deontay Johnson. Um, this is a player that reception perception loves way more than I think consensus. Um, and I think I'm very fair in saying that, but you take a look at his route tree, a lot of green, no reds anywhere. So even on the nine route where he's, you know, about league average on a flat route, he's about league average. He's above league average running every other route, Matt. Yeah. I, I, he's one of the best route runners in the league. Um, that's for sure. He's definitely one of the best route runners in the league. And I think one thing you've seen from him this year, which is a big reason that I really liked him this season is like the average depth of target is up. Um, at times this year, it's been really up, uh, but 11.7 uh, for him right now, you know, sometimes average depth of target is a product of the player. Almost all times it's the, it's a product of the wide receiver. And we talk about this all the time. Like, your vertical X receivers are going to have a higher average of the target, right? Like George Pickens, 13.2 a dot. That is higher than De Deontay Johnson because he's that vertical X receiver. Um, now, Deontay has played X at times, um, but he is, pro I would say, probably is more in that, like, Stefan Diggs flanker mold. So, you know, there's that. Uh, I think, man, I, I really do think there is still – a higher ceiling for him to reach as a player because of how good he is as a route runner. He obviously sure. needs to be, he needs to be more consistent, you know, with the hands, he needs to be more consistent. Um, like he's always going to be a high drops player. Some of that is, is where it, when it was really bad, it was where he was getting targeted. Like we talked about that during the 2020 season, he was getting all like weirdly. Then it was all short and over the middle stuff. Still not a ton yeah. in the intermediate area, but it was like that's where most drops occur because the ball comes on you so fast, especially when Ben Roethlisberger is getting the ball out quickly, you know, in that area of the Steelers football. Like he was getting the ball out quick and it's over the middle where you can take big hits. There's safeties, linebackers, like you're thinking about runners to catch. A lot of drops happen there. So now that we've seen him not get as many targets there, the drops are down. They're still high. He's like 6% this year, but um, it's not a big, big deal. He's He is a player like we talked – the inverse of Quinton Johnston – He's the drops are worth living through with Deontay Johnson because of the positives that he brings you as a route runner, as a separator. I definitely think there's a higher um, ceiling for him to reach. It's just in this offense, it's so hard. Like everything is is you're just fighting uphill because of the scheme. You're fighting uphill because of the route combinations. I mean, even like all the motion they do because this team motions a lot, but it's like they only motion on run plays. They don't motion on pass mm -hmm. plays. So number one, it's a tell, and number two, it's like. What are you motioning for? Like you're motioning Allen Robinson into closer to the line of scrimmage to block as your big slot receiver. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> that's so. First of all, that's so collegiate, man. That is yeah. So it's very college. college yeah. And honestly, yeah. it's very. It's a very high school offense, really, because of how rudimentary it is. But yeah. um, I don't even know if we're calling it college ball. But yeah, it's it's just a very very tough offense for players to be consistently efficient and that has been borne out through Deontay Johnson's career to this point okay so I want to talk a little bit about route percentages and, and utilization here because I do think this is um, really important for a player like Deontay Johnson who in 2022 recorded a 92.3 percent success rate on the dig route which is a route we love here at Reception Perception because you look at all the best players in the league. They're running that clean, crispy dig, and they are eating up defenses in that middle, intermediate area of the field, right? Like, I love what Brandon Ayuk runs that dig route, and, oh, yeah. uh, and he absolutely That's exactly who defenses. I was thinking about there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, listen, uh, we love the dig route here. Uh, on RP. Okay, so that's fine. Uh, but only 9.3% of his routes were on the dig and a below league average 17.5% of his routes were on the slant route where he, again, has been extremely, extremely efficient and good at getting separation. I want to highlight this because, Matt, you're talking about a guy who has 17% of his um, pass attempts have come on, or excuse me, on, of his routes have come on the slant. 
Now, again, what does that mean? DeAndre Hopkins above 20%. A.J. Brown at 23%. Michael Pittman at 27%. Hell, even Nico Collins at 22% last year. (laughs) T. Higgins, 23%. What am I bringing up? I'm bringing up outside X receivers who do have downfield ability still running a lot of slant routes. Why? Because they're seeing off coverage. That's when you win on these slant routes, man. So I I just, it's just such curious usage um, to not be running a crispy route runner like Deontay Johnson and getting him in more slant route combinations. I mean, I totally agree. It's really tough because you're just going to, I mean, you see the middle of the field. If you're, you know, a good, tall quarterback, you see the middle of the field, you see these guys running open. It creates these better windows. It creates more layup throws when you work in that middle of the field. Like that's where you want your receivers to be. Look at, I mean, a great example is Bobby Slowick with the Houston Texans right now. Like Nico Collins has been eaten on the middle of the field. Uh, even tank Dell has run these like dig routes really well. You know, we talked about that in the rookie report, but then you look at how they can build concepts off of that too. Like, right. Tank Dell's touchdown, you know, you see a safety start to cheat down because Nico's bringing him over the middle of the field, and that allows Tank Dell to rip you over the top on these outside breaking routes. There is just none of that in Pittsburgh. None of that. Like, the fact that they don't even use George Pickens over the middle of the field to bring somebody down to, like, allow Deontay Johnson to rip outside. This offense could absolutely and by the way, Bobby Sloak hasn't been perfect. Okay. He's not been perfect mm-hmm. as an offensive coordinator. There's been there's been a lot of running on first down, whatever. But this this offense, this group of players could really benefit from somebody from the Shanahan tree like coming in here and, and kind of bringing Love it back that. to yep. basics in that regard. Uh, I don't know if that's the way they go. I don't know if that's the way it is, but yes, the lack of middle of the field stuff for Deontay and George Pickens has been a huge problem for both of these players from a production standpoint, from an offensive efficiency standpoint, because you're asking Kenny Pickett to work. And I don't think Kenny Pickett can do this. That's the thing It's like, it'd be one thing if he was, um, you know, damn Josh Allen or one of these super talented quarterbacks, like work the sideline and hit, I mean, Steph Diggs and, and Josh Allen have been money on these like curl routes and comebacks for throughout the course of their career. But like, you're talking about an A plus tier separator and an A tier arm strength player in in Diggs and Allen, and yeah. you don't have that in Pittsburgh. So you got to right. do things for them. It'd be great to get a like yeah great route runner like Deontay Johnson work in the middle of the field more, but they have not done that to this point. I hope they do going forward. Yeah, sub 10%, by the way, on that dig route, right, for um, for Deontay Johnson, despite him being just an unbelievable separator on that particular route. I just I bring up somebody like Terry McLaurin, okay, who I think, again, like uh, there, there's a, you know, a, a decent comp there between Deontay Johnson and Terry McLaurin. Uh, McLaurin, obviously, I think the better player, but... Um, McLaurin, for example, ran 17.6% of his routes in 2022 on the dig route. So well above 15% even. Mike Evans, who just a classic throwback X receiver, 16.6% of his routes were on the dig. Why is this, guys? Because again, when when you are worried about, you know, your outside X receiver trying to burn you over the top, there of course is going to be some availability um, to the intermediate middle of the field at times, right? So, and, and again, a lot of this is route running, you know, and, and just, you know, stealthiness and and masking some of the stuff. But that's what Deontay Johnson does, and they don't fully utilize that. Um, so Matt Canada's offense just, I mean, it's a bad offense in general, but certainly does not play to the strengths of his players. It, again, we bring up the whole collegiate thing. It does, Matt, doesn't it feel very collegiate where, Again, you know, I talk about Arthur Smith. It's like he wants to feature his system over his players. And in the NFL, that's such a stupid way to play. Um, It's such a stupid way to play. Uh, And in college, that works for you. Great. You know, you you recruit guys to, to make them fit into your system. All right. If you want to do that, if you want to play it that way, great. You know, I get it. It's fine because the, the, the players are only going to be there for three years, you know, and okay, whatever. Well, you got to keep the system in place. I, in the NFL, that don't make any sense, man. Uh, and yeah. I think that's exactly what we've seen with Canada. Totally. Um, like I said, these are good players. They're, they're, they are they're have clear strengths. Hopefully we get something. It, it is a... 
we talked a lot about Matt Canada and the Steelers just now, but like this has been like a long time uh, kind of building thing. And this is one of the NFL's great franchises. And I think Mike Tomlin's yep. a great coach, great, a coach. great coach, yep. like a, a, a needle mover, like a, a legitimate advantage to have Mike Tomlin as your coach. But this was a huge mistake. And, um, you know, I think it, it all ultimately is going to cost them like the next it's, it's going to cost them this year. I mean, they could still make the playoffs as a thing, like, but it's, it's going <laughs> to, at no point, at no point has like, the, it, it has felt like the goal has been to make the playoffs and just get an eight, like get a nine and eight record and make the playoffs. But like, you should be know, shooting right? higher than that. And I think a better offense would have done that for them the last few years. You're totally right. It just felt like this team's goal was to get to 10 wins. That's it, you know? Right. And, like, they never thought beyond that. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, I the, the, the theme of this show is going to be a little negative, guys. I apologize, all right? But what about this, these Chiefs wide receivers? Holy hell. Oh, my God. Have we seen... Um, I thought the theme of what was it? I think it was two weeks ago. Maybe it was a week ago when I said we've never seen worse quarterback play in the NFL. I think this week we've never seen worse wide receiver play <laughs> between the Chiefs and Chargers. Have we ever seen worse wide receiver play or just pass catching, you know, a display of pass catching in the NFL than we have this week? It was down. It was down bad. And the Kansas City Chiefs, Holy hell, MVS dropping a game, potentially game-winning touchdown. That's rough, bro. Oh, man. What is going on in that Chiefs wide receiver room? What is going on, man? Uh, Like I have said on this show today and many times in the Quentin Johnson segment and, and many times over the years, drops can be overstated when you do things that make the drops worth living through, Mm -hmm. what are the chiefs receivers bringing to the table that are making these like absurd (laughs) drops absurd worth living through? I mean, even MVS bro. Like I I don't want to bang on. I I, look, I I get things wrong sometimes because I can, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like the most rosy optimistic person in real life, but uh, I try to from, like a football standpoint, the way I approach the game is like, I, let me try to figure this out and let me try to, okay, yeah. the teams are doing mm-hmm. this. Like maybe they see it this way, maybe this, that, and the other, but I, I don't, the, the MVS thing, like I said in our discord is like, I don't know what's more crazy, like what they paid him or how, like how much they paid him or how often they play him. Because I mean, the contract was nuts at the time and like he saw a dip in his routes just now like just the last couple of games because until then he was like a damn near 70 percent player a damn near like yeah. if any like nobody in this chiefs receiver room is an every down player but he was the closest and it's just like nothing about this guy's skill set like he does have a skill set to, to stretch the field but like f- you're throwing to him three times a game at most like on a consistent yeah. basis sometimes he'll pop up for these big games and stuff like that but it's like once like once a quarter and i'm talking about like a financial quarter not like a game quarter okay like one once in q1 he has a big game uh we don't play football in q2 and then once in q3 and once in q4 <laughs> if you're a corpo person you know what i'm talking about like he's popping up for the big games every now and again but like that's who he is as a player so wow. when he has a crushing and i mean crushing crushing drop at the end of the game, like uh, you lost the game because of that drop, you can't be surprised, and and that is just a part of a part of who he is as a skill set. And this is a guy, like I said, that you are playing a ton because you gave him a real contract. And like Justin Watson, might have had a it wasn't as uh, consequential because it was, wasn't going to win them the game, but it was going to keep the drive going on like fourth and twenty right. or fourth and twenty five. Was right. it like? Every other quarterback in the NFL, you're dead. You are drawing dead at fourth and twenty five. But Pat Mahomes, hmm, you have a chance. On. You have a chance. You have a chance on fourth and 25. But yeah, Justin Watson puts it on him and and he can't make the catch. And Justin Watson is a guy that they brought back. Like hit free agency and they brought him back. And they're playing him a ton now because Mahomes allegedly trusts him. How much longer is he going to trust him? I mean, like he doesn't want to throw to these guys. I mean, Sky Moore, 
Like, you know, I like Sky more in college. He is not developed in the NFL, period. Mm-hmm. He wasn't good as a rookie, and he hasn't been good this year. I don't love the position that they have him playing, which makes me again wonder, like, what's going on in that room? Like, from a coaching perspective, what is going on in that room? Um, why has he not developed at all? At all. Why have you not had a role for him that makes any sense? That's confusing. But, like, bottom line, Pat Mahomes sees Sky Moore get, get open, and he thinks. He, he's like, do I really want to throw to this guy? And then he comes off that read and goes to somebody else. Like, that's where Mahomes is right now, and you can't blame him. And, like, people want them to play Rasheed Rice. People want them to play Rasheed Rice on, like, an every-down basis. That's going to be a journey too, buddy. Let me tell you that because he can only really beat zone coverage and really only on in-breaking routes right now. Like, they, that's not a full-time player. That's not a full-time player. So, like, yeah, sorry t- to rant about this, but it's just like they they deserve what they're getting right now because, A, this is the room they've built, and, B, this is the room they've coached. Like, what is going on? Yeah. I, I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. Um, none of these guys, as you mentioned, are, is, well, first of all, none of these guys play every down, but none of these guys are every down type of players. As you mentioned, I just, how does Justin Watson brother explain to me how Justin Watson sees 11 targets in this game? I just, it doesn't make any sense. It boggles the mind. I would almost rather because Justin Watson is just so inefficient as a player. I would almost rather them just say Jarek McKinnon is going to get 11 targets and then let's just see what happens because these 11 targets to Justin Watson are all of them are bad, dude, you know, and I get it. He got five catches for 53 and he did get it, get a touchdown, man, but he was just so bad. <laughs> He's, I, I don't understand how a big chunk of your offense is running through Justin Watson right now. Um, Rasheed Rice, I, regardless of whether he is a part-time player or not, probably needs to see more targets. Again, I'd love for them to see utilize uh, a little bit more Jarek McKinnon. Um, I know that's like not exciting, and, and throwing to your running back out of the backfield is not that exciting. But something just, man, they, they need to get something done. They're, they have nobody who can win. Bro, forget about downfield. Other than other than your tight end, Travis Kelsey, who's winning in the intermediate middle of the field? Who? No one. I mean, it would be Rasheed Rice occasionally, but it's mostly been shallow stuff. This the one the stat that defines the Chiefs right now is according to fantasy points data, Patrick Mahomes is throwing to his first read on 61% of his plays. These are the other quarterbacks in that neighborhood. Zach Wilson, 62.9%. Derek Carr, sixty-two point three percent. Bryce Young, sixty point eight percent. And uh, if Jimmy Garoppolo, sixty point one percent. These are all like. And by the way, this is like at the bottom of the league. Okay, the the yeah, bottom right, right. of the league. Right. This is very low. All of those guys are like frenetic. They're um they're they're just super. They don't read the field out. They don't have a lot of patience. They don't have a lot of trust in what they're seeing. They're quick to check down, right? I mean, Jimmy, check down king. Uh, Derek right. Carr, like the reigning king, uh, lord and savior of the check down pass. That's yeah, the right, company right, that Patrick right. Mahomes is keeping right now. That is berserk. That's crazy stuff because that's what you've reduced this guy to is because he doesn't trust what he's seeing. And I don't blame him. And it's making him play worse. Like, there are times where he is making bad plays. And it's like, I know it's sacrilegious to say that, but it's just the truth. And I'm not sure it's all his fault even when he makes the bad plays, even when he passes up open receivers because he doesn't trust these guys. And, like, I, you know, I've been saying for a while, like, someday you're going to lose a game because of this. Well, that's what happened on Monday night. You lost a game because of your receivers. And, like, okay, you don't want to lose any games much less to a great team like the Eagles, the team you just beat in the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, you lose to an NFC team. You can still moonwalk into the AFC playoffs and like you're totally fine because of that. Even with that loss to the Eagles, you've built up enough of an advantage to be able to do that. But so, what about in the AFC playoff race? Like, right. 
what if what if he does this like MVS does this against the Bills? What if they do this against you know a team that they clearly should beat, uh, like the Jags or something? And mm-hmm. then you know your defense, which has been great this year. What if they, they they have an off game? Like there's just so much. It's just it's it's really like a castle it's made fragile. of sand. Yes, it's very yeah. fragile. It's a castle made of sand. It's fragile. Um, they're walking on thin ice. Whatever you want to say, that's where it's going with this Kansas City Chiefs passing game. And again, this is the group that they built. This is um, like everything is bad. The players are bad. The coaching can't possibly be good. The plan is bad. Like, you should just find three guys and stick with them. Just play them on every snap. <laughs> Enough of the rotating. <laughs> like, who's your X? Who's your Z? Who's your slot? And play them. But they, it would they, be nice. But they it don't. Would be nice, but. I, but they don't have trust in any of these guys. So it's like, one is begetting the other. Like, one is, ma- like, the lack of trust. Uh-huh. The lack of um, the lack of trust is begetting the issue of like rotating these guys too much, and then the rotation makes it harder to build trust because you're not able to like be on the field and be and, and like be a consistent player because you're rotating constantly. So I don't really know how they get out of this like pain cycle they're in right now. Uh, I don't either. You know, uh, to defend Andy Reid in the wide receiver rotation a bit though, I, like Sean McVay uses the same players in the same formations and then just runs different plays out of those formations, right? That's how he uses some deception. That's how he creates deception. I think Andy Reid uses this receiver rotation to create deception, um, to create, you know, some confusion among the, the, the opposing defensive backs on who to go on, who to cover, who's lining up where that's why sometimes he has his best players. Like Tyreek Hill was a 50, 50 slot player. Right, like he likes to create these different matchup problems and and confusion in the coverage, um, doesn't give the the opposing defenses a ton of time to kind of sort of adjust and make calls. Right, so I, I think that's why he does it. Um, and as you mentioned, none of these guys deserve to be on the field every yeah. play. Um, and I think that's really what it was. That's really what it is. I talked about this a lot this off season where. I looked at this receiving room and I said, man, they're asking, they're asking Mahomes to do too much. And at some point, um, you know, I didn't think it was going to be this year, uh, but at some point that that's going to come back to hurt them. They really need to get a, a wide receiver and they drafted Rasheed Rice. But has, as you had mentioned, he was a little bit of a project wide receiver. Um, and it does take some time, I think, right. to learn this Andy Reid offense properly um, inside and out. I think that's been made pretty clear and evident evident uh, throughout the Andy Reid tenure, that his, co- that his playbook is pretty complex and it does take a little bit of time to kind of figure that out, man. But they, they need to address wide receiver, and I'm assuming they will this offseason. Pretty decent batch of wide receivers. By the way, a lot of X receivers mm-hmm. in, this wide, uh, in this free agent class. So I, it would be interesting to see yeah. how much they'll open up the, um, the, the, the checkbook to kind of bring in an X receiver um, onto this team, which would be great. Which that's, is what that's they so what they badly need because then mm-hmm. it's like – you don't have a lot of these other guys are slot players or gadget players. I mean, Tony and Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice right. right now is that's what he is. Maybe he can become more of that, but right now that's what he is. Um, yeah. Like the young guys that you've tried to groom here are all of the same type. Yeah. And then the veterans are these non needle movers like MVS and Justin Watson. Oh, so, below non. I mean, they're below average starters. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not even just not moving the needle. They're actually some, like, we just saw moving the needle in the wrong direction. <laughs> right, correct, correct. So there's that. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 definitely bad. Like, if they could get a big-time X receiver in here, I think that'd be huge. Um, last thing on this, yeah. all that said, Chiefs can still win the Super Bowl, right? Can they still oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Especially because your defense <laughs> – like, that's the thing, right? It's like the, the Kelsey part of this is critical, too, because – Last year, they were able to win on offense, be a great offense, despite not having a good receiver room. Well, one, because you had Juju, who was like, he's a solid, at that point, not anymore. He, he's, he's, pro- yeah. he's probably toast he's now dust. because of his knees. Yeah, but at right. that time, he was like a solid player. Um, just a solid NFL starter, really reliable in uh-huh. the short and intermediate totally. areas, yada, yada, the whole Juju thing. Um, 
whatever. But still, a, a, not a good receiver room, but you had like an elite, elite tight end. Kelsey's looked a little older this year, and that's been the problem, but their defense has... Injuries. The de- yeah, injuries. Uh, he's flying to Argentina to go to concerts. You know, it's <laughs> it's hot down there, I've been told, in South America uh, sure, right now. Sure. Okay. You know, whatever. Uh, pun intended. But, but, but the defense is so much better that they can win because of that defense and like, all right, we don't score for a whole half of football. Half. Oh, my God. But our defense keeps us competitive. So they can still win the Super Bowl. Pat Mahomes can still, you know, drag these. Well, I mean, like there, uh, I saw Hayden Winks post a clip of like one of the receivers dropping the ball. I think it was actually might have been tight end Noah Gray. And Pat Mahomes is like literally doing this to him. It's like he's showing these guys like you need to put your hands together to catch it. So bad. That was bad for the podcast, but oh, go find it on Hayden Winks's uh, yo, Twitter at Hayden Winks. That's you, you see crazy. It yo, uh, zero points in the entire second half for Kansas City. That's that's wild, man. Uh, the defense absolutely held up their end of the bargain. And by the way, they I feel like they are an ex receiver away from absolutely freaking lighting the world on fire. Okay, honestly, because their offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in football. You've got Patrick Mahomes, obviously Travis Kelsey, uh, who is banked up this season. Uh, but, you know, if he ever, if he gets right next season, man, or at some point this season, if he gets right, um, that's obviously a huge weapon for them. And their running backs are good, man. Holy hell. Pacheco looked great last night. Um, I know he didn't put up like a monster, monster performance or anything, but 19 carries for 89 yards, 4.7 YPC. I mean, my dude was making some real splash plays, like some real splash seven-yard runs. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Really lifting his teammates for sure with some of the style of running that he's got. So they're an ex-receiver away from just absolutely lighting it up. Um, but they just don't got that guy right now. So, and, and the whole offense is collapsing in on itself because of how bad the receivers are, man. It's unbelievable. All right. Um, very quickly, I do want to talk about um, Calvin Ridley because he did have himself a very nice game, over 100 yards receiving two touchdowns here. Um, what say you, Matt Harmon? Was it mostly a, a matchup situation because he did have a great matchup on the board there? Or are we seeing Ridley, who I think you've highlighted some of his struggles this year, it can't just simply be that because Zay Jones is out on the field, there's a little bit more separation in space form, is it? Or, or is that the case? Well, that has been the talk of the week, and there is some truth to it, right? John Shipley, who covers the Jaguars, does a great job. He's noted that all three of Ridley's 100-yard games have been with Zay Jones on the field, Um, which the reason that that is is because he is another viable outside receiver, right? Kirk is a slot. Um, Jamal Agnew, their fourth receiver, is a gadget guy and a converted cornerback, okay? So they don't want to – have a non another non-viable outside receiver certainly taking snaps at the x spot like they don't want that's not what they want um but like you gotta do it sometimes man um i i think like i think back to the uh 2017 ish vikings where they had adam thielen as their power slot and they had Uh steph diggs as their like elite separating flanker receiver and it was like who gives a crap about our ex? I mean, it was like Laquan Treadwell sometimes, maybe. Yep, I, you know, totally. it was just like a total, total zero at that X. Like, but they're over there running those inefficient routes and doing whatever. We don't. We're just like not even going to consider that player in the progression at the most part because we have two great players here. And I kind of think the Jaguars could take a, a leaf out of that page because. Okay, yes, it should not take Zay Jones. I understand why it's taking Zay Jones for you to, like, get Calvin Ridley rolling here. Um, but at the same time, it shouldn't shouldn't take that, okay? Like, Ridley is one of your best players. Ridley has mm-hmm. is one of your um, – he can be one of your best players. Uh, him and Kirk should be the foundation of your pass game, and for the most part – I mean, for the most part, it has been. Evan Ingram's having an okay season, whatever. Um, but, like, those two guys should be – that Adam Thielen and that Steph Diggs type from 2017 with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, But it hasn't consistently been that 
because they've had to use Ridley as that X because they don't trust anybody else out there. But like when you can condense those guys in the same spot, like have Ridley off the line and, and Kirk on the line as your as your slot receiver, man, that gives you a lot of flexibility about what you can do with Ridley. And it gets him away from press coverage, which he has struggled with press coverage this year. His reception perception numbers against press coverage are down, but his success rate versus man is still right in line with his career expectations. So is it that he's struggling with press or is it that he's just seeing more press than almost any other receiver? It can be a little bit of both. Like it can be a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing there because he wasn't ever seeing this much press coverage when he was with the Atlanta Falcons. Definitely not when he was running alongside Julio Jones, but even when Julio Jones missed games or the 2021 season, wasn't seeing this level of press coverage. So again, is it a chick? It's a chicken and egg thing there, but the way to get away from it is all right. That ISO route, Look, we'd love it to be Calvin Ridley because he can win on go routes and he can win on comebacks and stuff like that. But it's tougher to have that receiver run in middle of the field routes. But you really want Calvin Ridley sort of like George Pickens. I mean, there have been a lot of times this year where Calvin Ridley's target chart in terms of the routes he's running, where he's getting targeted, the areas of the field, look a lot like George Pickens' route charts. Yo, you don't want – we talked about George Pickens' success rate versus man numbers. You don't want Calvin really running the George Pickens route tree, okay? That's not right. That isn't it. So there's a lot that needs to go on here in terms of changing up the routes. But also, yeah, you can do the condensed splits and bring these guys tighter together in terms of Kirk and Ridley. And that presents a lot more for defenses to think about than we just have uh, Ridley uh, as the X and Kirk as the slot and somebody we feel slightly better about at the flanker position. Like, it's okay to waste a receiver spot if it makes your other two guys better. And I think the Jags learned a little bit of that lesson in week 11. Even if Zay Jones was was active, he wasn't on the field for all of those Ridley big plays. That's another thing to note, too. So mm-hmm. hopefully they learned that lesson in week 11 and we see more of it going forward because I think it's crucial for them to hit their ceiling this year. Yeah, um, 11%, uh, 11 personnel percentage, okay, since week number three. So we take away weeks one and two there. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars have run 11 personnel uh, at the 10th lowest rate in the NFL. Actually, I, I laugh because I, I looked this up, and the Atlanta Falcons, are you ready for this, <laughs> have run 11 personnel, obviously the lowest rate in the league. Uh, 17.8% of their uh, plays have been from 11 personnel. Wow. The second lowest is the San Francisco 49ers at 33.9%. So (laughs) the the Falcons are last place in 11 personnel uh, by about half from the second lowest, by the way. Okay. Um, the league average is 62%. The league average is 62% 11 personnel. The Atlanta Falcons are at 17.8%. That, <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> and you're wondering why these quarterbacks, Desmond Ritter and, and Simeon, you're wondering why they're struggling? I don't know. Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because they can't, they don't even have options to throw to wide receivers, dude. It's like, Oh my God, that's unbelievable. Uh, but anyways, Jacksonville Jaguars bottom 10 in the league. Um, you know, they're right there with the Kansas city chiefs, by the way. Um, because again, they don't have reliable wide receivers either. Uh, and they're, and they're obviously not running three wide receivers out there a lot because, they don't have wide receivers to throw out there. So, yeah, no, to tre- to, to, to Trevor Lawrence's point, and, and we talked about it in the in the previous episode, uh, it, listen, it'd be, it'd be great if the Jacksonville Jaguars could figure out a way to just, I think, run more 11 personnel out there for all the reasons um, that I think you highlighted as well. Yeah, man, I, I think – I do think Doug Peterson giving up play calling and, like, full-on control of the offense. I'm sure Doug's obviously involved in everything, but, like, giving it up to Press Taylor I think was – you know, probably not a, the best idea right now in this season, in this season, right. you know, because yeah. this is really a great window for you. And now you're going to have to compete with CJ Stroud every, every year. So that's, I know that's going to be tough. That's going to be much more difficult. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that was a mistake for, for the Jags. Like I, w- you know, I know every people talk about this, that what, what 
Doug Peterson's wanting to do there is like a lot of what Andy Reid did for him, build him up and make him a better coaching candidate by letting him call some plays and do more right. full-time offensive coordinator things. Um, he's done, Reed's done that with a lot of his guys through the years. Doug Peterson is, is just trying to pay it forward, right? For, sure. for press Taylor, sure. who's followed sure. him around, uh, you know, on coaching staffs before. I just would have waited till 2024 to do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I would have, I would have tried to like win the Super Bowl yeah. this year and, and, and make a big playoff right. push. But I'm sure they think, Hey, we can, we can win the Super Bowl anytime with Trevor Lawrence, which maybe they can. But I do think they're a bit in a bit of a proving ground right now. And like it's good to see these big weeks from Jacksonville and from Ridley and from Lawrence and, and these guys. But it's a it's they're still in like prove it territory to me. Like we need to see them stack weeks and stack consistency before believing it. I mean, hey, listen, they've got some nice gritty wins, too. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. they've gotten blown out by San Francisco, but they beat the Buffalo Bills in a big time spot. That was at Buffalo, by the way. A very nip and tuck game against Kansas City um, in a loss there, but a close loss. Right. So I don't know. To me, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I know this sounds a little crazy, but they should be in championship mode because especially this year. The AFC and the entire NFL, it's wide open. Yeah, It is wide open. Kansas City is not invulnerable. Buffalo might not make the playoffs. If Buffalo doesn't make the play, I mean, the best team in the AFC right now by record is the Baltimore Ravens. And, bro, you can't tell me that they're impenetrable as well, right? No. They have some real bad losses um, on their record too, right? So the AFC in particular is wide open open and as we know the nfc probably the lesser conference of the two uh, but they've got some real strong contenders there too but man um i don't know i don't think the eagles have looked uh unstoppable certainly their record makes them look unstoppable but i, I don't think that they're an unstoppable unit at all dallas is, is certainly in the mix too but it's just a, look long way of saying it, it's a wide open nfl this year and the jacksonville jaguars are in the mix they're Absolutely. in the mix. So, Absolutely. yeah. So there you go. Um, anyways, I hope everyone does enjoy their Thanksgiving, man. Um, certainly, it, it's it's a lot of fun uh, to be, you know, having turkey and, and stuffing and all those other things and, and watch a little football, man. So good stuff. We've got Thursday football. We've got Friday football. <laughs> We've got Sunday, Monday. Football. It's, it's going to be good. It's a good time. Uh, to be an NFL fan. And, and we certainly appreciate you guys uh, listening to, to our shenanigans and our stupid stuff uh, each and every episode. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, that's it for the show. For Matt Harmon, uh, I'm James Coe. We'll, we'll see you next week, man. I hope everyone has a great week 12. And remember, it's never too late to chase your dreams. All right, peace.